Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Every October, the Seton Shrine hosts a powerful faith drama called Back from the Dead. In these cemetery walks, you will encounter saints who come back to life with life-saving messages. Learn more at satanshrine.org. Now here's Father Ted. On Wednesday, a documentary about Pope Francis came out, and a single line from this documentary immediately grabbed international headlines. There were some in the mainstream media who interpreted it as a change in the church's teachings regarding individuals with same-sex attraction. And as a response, there were many Catholic individuals that responded by saying, the Holy Father is wrong and we don't need to listen to him because it's not infallible anyways. So, there's a lot of confusion around what Pope Francis actually said and meant. Hopefully we can bring a little bit of clarity to that situation. And so we're going to do three things today. We're first of all going to consider the authentic nature of love, which is going to help us to then realize why the church's stance on individuals, or rather why the church's stance on homosexual acts is what it is. And finally, consider what Pope Francis actually said. So our gospel today is a good reminder that our faith is fundamentally a thing of love. It's a religion of love. You know, this divine imperative to love that we heard in today's gospel, it's really just the, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, everything is centered around that concept of love. We worship a God who is defined as love and has promised to love us unconditionally. We, his followers, are going to be recognized by the love we have for each other. At the end of our lives, our eternal destiny will be determined by how well we loved. Everything that we do as part of our faith, the sacraments we receive, the service we perform, the prayers we say, the scripture we read, everything is ordered to increase in, that, to increase in us that capacity to love. But some people, they will create this false kind of dichotomy between love and freedom. Dichotomy in the sense of opposition, like you're either, or rather they will identify love with freedom. They create a false dichotomy between love and law. As if the more you love somebody, the less you actually oblige them to do, or the more permissive you are of their actions. Love, they say, is freedom. And so, when we love them, we impose no obligations, or expressed in a more positive vein, the more that we love them, the more rights that we give them. And so, the church does say no to certain things. And because of that, because the church has, this, has these restrictions on certain actions, it's often painted in terms of being harsh and cruel. So, for example, when it comes to euthanasia, the church teaches you cannot take the life of somebody before their time has come, before God calls them. But it seems to some people that it's just cruel that you can't bring somebody's suffering to an end with euthanasia. Or it's heartless that Catholics who have been divorced and remarried can't receive communion until they have their wedding blessed in the church. And perhaps nowhere is this more the case than, regarding, than in the situation of same-sex attraction. 
many people ask, why shouldn't two people who love each other be allowed to marry? To approve of this union is an act of love and compassion, while condemning it is discriminatory. So in my home state of California, back in 2008, there was a Proposition 8 that was proposed that they were trying to pass, which would legalize marriage between individuals of the same sex. And the slogan, the motto of those who were pushing this agenda was, don't hate. That is to say, if you oppose this, you are a hater. But all of this is a distorted view of love. Love does not mean let the other person do what they want. Love means, and has always meant, to seek the good of the other person, to seek their happiness, to seek their holiness, to seek that they might truly flourish, not to seek that they might do whatever they want. Pope uh, Emeritus Benedict XVI, he expressed it this way in his encyclical on love. He said, to love someone is to desire that person's good and to take effective steps to secure it. So when we do something that's bad for somebody we care about, that's not love. We have a word for children who are allowed to do anything they want. They are called spoiled. And to help an adult who is struggling with some sort of damaging practice, damaging habit, some sort of self-detrimental um, custom that he has, we say if we help him to do that thing that hurts him, we are enabling him. And those are both bad. We, both, we all recognize that. And so at times, love means restricting what the other person can do. So the parent that loves their child restricts their, their toddler's access to little batteries. Or the friend that loves his friend restricts his friend's access to his keys to the car when he's drunk. Or again, love will sometimes require that we impose things on other people. A parent that loves their child requires them to go to school. A friend who loves their friend will require, or encourage at least, their friend to leave an abusive relationship because it's harmful to them. That's real love. So this notion of real love is what guides the church's very countercultural teachings on homosexuality. Because we know how harmful romantic relationships between individuals of the same sex can be for those very individuals on so many different levels. As it very often does, the Catechism gives us a straightforward summary. And this, to many people, is going to be a little shocking, but this is the faith we profess, and this is the teaching of the Church. Quote, basing itself on sacred scripture, which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave depravity, tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to the natural law. They close the sexual act to the gift of life. They do not proceed from a genuine, effective, and sexual complementarity. Under no circumstances can they be approved. Close quote. So, this is the teaching of the church. This has always been the teaching of the church, this continues to be the teaching of the church, and this will always be the teaching of the church. And the Catechism goes on to describe the inclination as disordered. Now, when you first hear that the inclination is disordered, that sounds like a slur. It sounds as if you're saying the person is disordered. But 
it just means that the, the acts are not in keeping with the proper order of the sexual act, the proper purpose of the sexual act. So eating, for example, eating has a biological purpose. It is for the sake of nutrition. It's something we might do for the sake of pleasure. That might be the primary motivating factor. But at the end of the day, we eat in order that we might survive, that we might receive the nourishment we need in order to continue existing. And even if it wasn't pleasurable, we would continue to eat insofar as we want to stay alive. But if you eat and then force yourself to throw up, purging, that's not in keeping with the proper order of the, bio, of the act of eating. And so too, when we say that same-sex relations are objectively disordered, we are saying that they are objectively contrary to the order of the act of intercourse, the purpose of the act of intercourse, which is the reproduction, the, the procreation, and the good of the spouses. So they predispose people to things that are not good for them. Now, lest these clarifications from the Catechism seem a little too harsh, or maybe maybe allow, they might give the false impression that we don't care about individuals with same-sex attraction, that we are discriminatory, lest that false impression be received, the Catechism goes on to describe how to treat people who experience these inclinations. And this is important if we think that the church looks down on per persons with these inclinations. It says they must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. So it's hardly the teaching of a hateful church. Every sign of it, not just actually doing it, but you shouldn't even look as if you're discriminating against them. And this is a concrete example of this is what Pope Francis brought up in, some of the, in one of the non-controversial parts of that interview. He said that you know, children who experience this attraction should not be kicked out of their family. Their lives should not be made miserable. And that's true. That would be unjust. That would be discriminatory. That would be hateful to simply remove a child from your family because they experience this attraction. Nobody should be made miserable on this account. The Catechism says it's a heavy enough of a cross as it is. But at the same time, we do have to avoid that false compassion that can lead to confusion. So in the year uh, 2003, Pope St. John Paul II taught through the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith that this respect for homosexual persons cannot lead in any way to approval of homosexual behavior or to legal recognition of homosexual unions. So, what do we think, this is the, the third part, what do we think about Pope Francis's recent comments regarding this subject? Because he said, what we have to have is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. So first of all, if you've seen this quote, or if you've heard this quote before, especially in the mainstream media, keep in mind, this is not how the Pope expressed himself. This is a 20 second clip of five different sound bites that were extracted in the course of an interview that lasted hours. Yes, they all occurred within minutes of each other, but it's not as if the Pope had one continuous sentence in which he said everything which is presented in that documentary. He said he was talking for a few minutes, and the editors picked out certain bits and pieces and put them together. That's the first thing to keep in mind. 
the people that made the documentary had an agenda. They wanted to present a particular perspective. Second, in another occasion when speaking about same-sex unions, the Holy Father himself explicitly spoke of close unions between people of the same sex which do not in themselves imply sexual relations. So, this, from the words of Pope Francis himself, imply that when he starts speaking about civil unions between individuals of the same sex, he is referring to those cases in which you have individuals who are living chastely with each other, or as the Catechism says, with the support of disinterested friendship in keeping with the Church's teaching. And there are people, there are individuals that experience attraction for members of the same sex, but they don't engage in the actions. One example of this is a man by the name of Paul, who was a primary contributor to a documentary called The Desire of the Everlasting Hills. If you haven't already seen it, it's very good. It presents, uh, it's basically the story of three individuals who converted from active, sexual, uh, active homosexual lifestyles to living the faith. So these legal bundles that Pope Francis is proposing, you know, the, the grouping of people in, in a way recognized by law, the reason why it would be good is because it would allow them to more easily designate who would make medical decisions on their behalf, who would easily receive the inheritance, who would receive their pension. So economic and medical and legal uh, processes would be facilitated if we have these legal unions. So the key thing here is that the Pope is teaching what the church has always taught. Two men can live together so long as they don't engage in intercourse and it's not a near occasion of grave sin. If the Holy Father had wanted to change anything, a one-liner in a documentary is not the way a Pope goes about changing stuff. His statements might reflect his optimistic perspective that there are many homosexual individuals living together chastely. And yes, it might have been helpful if he had qualified after he said that. By the way, I still believe everything the Church has always taught for the last 2,000 years. But you can't expect the Pope to follow everything he says with that act of faith. It's something that we presuppose when it comes to the Holy Father. Third, he's not approving in, of any form of same-sex marriage. This would be completely contrary to what he said as Archbishop of Buenos Aires. In the year 2010, so 10 years ago, he wrote a letter to four Carmelite monasteries in Argentina asking them to pray against the legalization of, of same-sex marriages. He wrote that such a measure would put the survival of the family in jeopardy. This is the Holy Father as Archbishop. It would be a violation of God's will and a clear rejection of the law of God. To deprive a child of a father and mother is a discriminatory act against the child. And he said that the push for this kind of a law, legalization of same-sex marriages, was a move by the father of lies. So when the Holy Father took the time to write out his thoughts in a clear way, he expressed the faith of the church but yet the father of lies is still at work in the world. His goal is to divide and conquer. He wants to divide the church against the Holy Father. He wants to divide people with same-sex attraction against people with opposite-sex attraction. He wants to divide us from God. But we have a mother who is more powerful, a woman who crushes the head of the serpent.
And so let us pray in today's Mass that she might protect us against the wickedness and snares of the Father of lies, so that we might be able to authentically love each other, the Holy Father, and God in an authentic way.